This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audio entertainment with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. When you're done with this episode, please visit audibletrial.com forward slash the renaissance for a free audiobook with your free 30-day trial membership. If this podcast has sparked a more intense interest in the renaissance, I have just the lecture series for you. The Renaissance, the Reformation, and the Rise of Nations, narrated by Professor Andrew C. Fix. Over 24 hours of lectures over the Renaissance in both Italy and Northern Europe. You may choose this or another one of their many titles when you visit audibletrial.com forward slash the Renaissance for your free download. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance, episode 27, the early Northern Renaissance. Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Bird. In this episode, we'll take a step back and catch up on events in Northern Europe. We have focused so exclusively on the Renaissance in Florence that we have neglected nearly 200 years of Flemish and Nederlandish Renaissance art. The art in Northern Europe was making its own strides towards modernity, but in a distinctly different fashion than Florence. Florence was a highly analytical society, extremely focused on mathematics. This is what the society in Florence demanded, built around banking and merchants. It gave us perspective and scientific proportion. However, in Northern Europe, they were less focused on the idealism of the Greeks and the analytical precision of the Florentines. Not that they were averse to the new ideas from Italy, but they were more concerned with capturing naturalism of form and infusing their work with deep religious symbolism. In many ways, the Northern Renaissance was completely independent of the Italian Renaissance, and vice versa, but ultimately the ideas of both would filter through and blend with their own native styles. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Robert Campen and Roger van der Weyden, the two men credited with discovering and developing oil paint, a medium that would spread to Italy and come to dominate the art of painting in the next century. But first, let us discuss the Low Countries, Flanders, and the Netherlands. Flanders corresponds roughly with modern-day Belgium and borders the Netherlands on its eastern border. Flanders and the Netherlands share a similar history with the rise of independent city-states that developed through an extensive network of trade. In addition to a shared history, the two countries share a common language, Dutch, though if that person happens to be from Flanders, we call it Flemish. There seems to be a free movement of goods and people between the Dutch cities of Amsterdam, or Utrecht, and the Flemish cities of Ghent, Bruges, and Brussels. In fact, both territories would fall under the domain of the Holy Roman Emperor through a series of princes and dukes who owed their allegiance to the Habsburgs. 
This would lead the provinces to be under the control of the Spanish or the Austrians at various times through history. So, what is the divide that exists between the Dutch and the Flemish? Religion. When Martin Luther sent shockwaves through the Catholic Church, he sowed the seeds for a divided Netherlands and Flanders. The Netherlands would adopt the new Protestant Reformation and use it as an opportunity to break with the Habsburgs, while the Flemish would remain staunchly loyal to the Catholic monarch and would remain a part of the Holy Roman Empire until the Napoleonic Revolutions. We'll talk more about Luther and the Reformation and its effects in a later episode. For now, just know that the terms refer more to a geographic distinction rather than a cultural or religious one at this particular time. The world our Flemish and Netherlandish artists inhabit is one that is staunchly Catholic and still clinging to many of its medieval traditions. Flanders successfully fought off a French attempt at annexation in the 12th century, only to fall back under French control. Flanders continued to decline in the 13th and early 14th centuries due to the Black Death and the lack of trade due to the Hundred Years' War. In the Netherlands, the situation was much the same. The two regions would be united under the Burgundian duke, Philip the Good. Philip the Good was a member of the Valois dynasty, the same dynasty that occupied the throne of France. Philip was known for his patronage of the arts, and under him, artists like Jan van Eyck would flourish. He would rival the Medici for his patronage. He was also known as the man who captured Joan of Arc. Despite being a member of the French royal family, Philip made an alliance with England during the Hundred Years' War to protect his own territory. Joan would be executed as a heretic and burned at the stake. Now that we have a little background, let's look at our first artist for this episode. Vasari would wrongly credit Jan van Eyck with the development of oil painting. But we now know that it can be traced at least as far back as Robert Campen, an artist unknown to Vasari. We actually credit two men with the early development of oil paint, Campen and his student, Roger van der Weyden. As in Florence, the life of late medieval and early Renaissance artists were dominated by the guilds. Whether you lived in Florence or Antwerp, all manner of trade was controlled by various guilds who protected the interests of their members and ensured proper training and quality control. In order to work in a specific trade, acceptance into the guild was mandatory. This is true of the arts as well. Artists are, after all, mere craftsmen, and the arts would not rise to the level we hold them today until the end of the Renaissance. We can thank Michelangelo and Leonardo for that. Robert Campin was a member of the Guild of St. Luke, the Guild of the Goldsmiths and the Painters of Tournai, where he owned several homes. Campen was the deputy dean of the guild who dominated the city of Tournai. He was active in the city beginning sometime in 1406. For centuries, there's been a debate over who was the first Renaissance master of Northern Europe. The period is less well documented than in Florence, i.e. there's no Vasari in Northern Europe, and many of the early artists' names are lost to us. Vasari gives the title to Jan van Eyck and he was certainly the best-known northern artist, and Vasari even credits him with the discovery of oil painting. However, scholarship over the past few decades leads us to Robert Campen. It seems that Campen is the first Flemish artist to make serious use of oil painting as an artistic medium. Why was this such a revolution, and how did it begin? 
In Italy, frescoes dominated since the days of the Roman Empire. In the right conditions, frescoes are an extremely durable form of painting. The pigment bonds chemically with the wet plaster and can last for centuries. Frescoes present a problem, however. They're attached to the wall. So if the church is demolished or remodeled, the fresco is usually lost. Look at the lost work of Giotto in Old St. Peter's. There are ways to remove them from the walls, but they're risky and time-consuming. Secondly, and more importantly for us, frescoes are highly dependent on a dry climate. They fare poorly in the wet climates of Northern Europe and the wet climate of Venice. Place a fresco in Brussels, or Venice for that matter, and you will have mold between the paint films in a matter of months. So fresco is not an ideal medium for the wet Northern European climate. Fresco is not the only technique, however. Artists for millennia have used animal fats as a binder for paint. An example would be the cave paintings of Lascaux and Altamira. Stone Age artists used animal fat and blood to fix their pigments to the wall. Milk fat, known as casein, also works well and is used by artists today. In Flanders and the Netherlands, they preferred a medium known as egg tempera, which is made from egg yolks. This is still a medium used today, but it has its limitations. The color must be built up slowly, stroke by stroke, and it's impossible to create large passages of color, like you might with a fresco. However, Northern European artists could attain an amazing amount of realism with tempera, and they were known for this effect. Campin was looking for a more versatile medium. He experimented with various vegetable oils in the place of egg yolk, mostly linseed and walnut oil. These oils provide a translucence and sheen not possible with egg tempera. Initially, oil paints were used as a final coating over tempera paintings to give them a translucent, more lifelike appearance. Eventually, though, artists like Campen and van der Weyden would dispense with the tempera underpainting and begin to paint directly in oil. Oil paint offers several advantages from both frescoes and egg tempera. It can be used directly or as a series of transparent glazes. These techniques could also be combined. By adding various resins and varnishes, artists could control the gloss of the finished product. The drying process could be sped up with a few additives or slowed down with just the vegetable oil. The artist was in full control of the medium, unlike fresco or tempera, where the medium dictated the artist's style and speed of work. The best part was that oil paints could work well in either humid or dry climates. Over the course of the Renaissance, oil painting techniques would travel from Flanders and the Netherlands to Venice, eventually ending up in Florence. Leonardo and Raphael would both experiment with oils, sometimes with mixed results. And by the 17th century, oil paint would be the dominant medium for painting and would not be rivaled until the 20th century. Campen's best-known work, an example of this oil technique, is the Marode altarpiece. This was originally attributed to Van Eyck, but later scholarly work determined it to be, in fact, Campen. Campen and Van Eyck actually met each other once in 1427. No record of their meeting exists, however. One can just wonder what was said between the two artists. The Marode altarpiece contains a highly elaborate use of symbolism common to Northern Europe. Much of the meaning is debated today, but the triptych depicts the Annunciation as well as the figure of Joseph in his workshop. Interestingly, Campen also uses linear perspective, 
which he would have most likely learned from the artistic treaties brought by Italian merchants. Campen would continue to work in Tournai for the next several decades. He was married, but he remained childless. In 1432, Campen was prosecuted for an affair with another woman. He was punished with a fine and banishment. Margaret of Burgundy, however, intervened, and Campen was ordered only to pay the fine. It was around this time that his apprentice, Roger van der Weyden, was accepted into the Guild of St. Luke as a master artist. Campen would die in 1442. Little was written about his later years, but he would leave many students who would carry on his artistic style and his use of oils would change the art world for centuries. As I just mentioned, Campen's student, Roger van der Weyden, would become a master artist around the same time that he was being prosecuted for adultery in 1432. It's likely he assisted with the Marot altarpiece, as well as other works. Little is known about his early life, and many of the archives were destroyed during World War II, including the archives of Tournai. We know he entered the workshop of Campen in 1426, and was likely apprenticed elsewhere before that. Van der Weyden would be listed as the official painter of Brussels in 1435, a post that was created for him so that he might complete four large murals for the Golden Chambers of Brussels City Hall. The post would expire upon his death. During his time in Brussels, Van der Weyden would become increasingly wealthy due to his position as the official painter for the city and numerous commissions for the Duke of Burgundy, Philip the Good. Few works can be attributed to van der Weyden because, like Campen, he never signed his work. However, the portrait of a lady, circa 1460, is the most likely candidate for an example of his work. Here we see his use of oil to create the translucent skin tones and his concern with feminine beauty. As with all the previous episodes, you may view these works attributed to Campen and van der Weyden on the website as a supplemental for this episode at therenaissancepodcast.com. As with Campen, little is written about van der Weyden's death, but both men would leave a huge mark on the Renaissance, and their styles would influence artists across Europe. However, they would eventually be overshadowed by the work of Jan van Eyck. This is the Renaissance Podcast, and I'm your host, Dennis Berg. Thank you for listening. 